Psalm number 16. David writes, you will show me the path of life. You. We go looking for things everywhere and every path possible, but only he will show us the path of life. And in order for him to do that, I have to be with him, spend time with him, be willing to give up other things and time to say, show me what I need to learn. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore, eternal, that have value, that don't pass. So, Father, thank you for restoring joy to our experience and walk with you. Joy because our sins are forgiven. Joy because you've given us power to live for you. Joy because we know the final outcome and the victory and result. And joy because when it's all done, we win. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You will show me the path of life in your presence of fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do people in our Western culture believe this today? That's that's a hard question, a difficult one. Does the church believe it enough to get up and come to the house of God on the Lord's day? Because the scripture teaches us that we are to gather together, have the gathering and the pulling together of the body of Christ, particularly when you see that we're closer to the end than ever in history. Because there are blessings you receive from being in God's presence with his people assembled You cannot get anywhere else. God structured it that way and ordered it that way. The path of life steps ordered or directed by God's word. This teaches us how we should walk, what steps to take. We learned yesterday how important it is in our business session, how important it is to walk in the right steps. And we heard about that in both the book of 1 Kings and the book of Joshua. In the steps that we take need to be directed by the word of the living God. My mother used to put it to me like this. Watch your step. (laughs) Because it was important to know that the principles we live by were ordered of the Lord. In God's presence, it goes on to say, we are filled with joy. There, there is pleasure at his right hand. His presence is here today. Believe it. Because that's where I find joy in my life. On January 12, 2007, at 7.51 a.m., an average-looking young man carrying a musical instrument walked into the metro station in Washington, D.C. I don't know if you've ever been there. My wife and I and family have been there several times. Kirsten, you know it well. You know how the metro system works in D.C. You go down an escalator. You can go anywhere around the city of Washington. You can go anywhere into the inner parts of Washington, D.C. on the metro system. And so this young man enters the metro system, goes down the escalator, 
and he's watching people moving in and out in their morning commute. And he begins to play classical tunes on his violin. And as he's playing, nobody knew, because he had a hidden camera capturing these moments, the Washington Post had decided to do research on the power of music in various places. And hundreds of people, up to thousands of them, begin to pass by this unassuming man playing his violin. In reality, he was one of the most accomplished musicians in the world. They called him a first violinist, an award-winning talent. As a child, he used to stretch rubber bands across the poles on his dresser and there create music as he snapped them. He had differing lengths of rubber bands so he could strike different notes. By the age of 14, Joshua Bell became the master violinist with the Philadelphia Symphony Orchestra. By the age of 18, Joshua Bell had played a concert at Carnegie Hall. Hundreds now and thousands of people are rushing into the metro metro system, and he plays, while they're coming and going, five pieces of classical music. Twenty-seven people showed interest enough to stop for a moment and observe him. Fourteen people tossed some money into the open violin case to show gratitude for the music he played. They didn't know that the violin he was playing was made in 1713 by Antonio Stradivarius, the most renowned builder of violins. The violin that he was playing at the metro station cost, was estimated cost of $4 million dollars because the constructor of those violins, none has ever been his equal. The crowds had no clue what was happening. Everyone was self-absorbed with what they were doing and where they were going. A master violinist playing a $4 million Stradivarius flawlessly at the Metro. Neither were they aware that just a few nights earlier, he had played for the Boston Symphony. At the end of his playing, He counts $14 in his violin case. They were unaware that Bell was paid $1,000 per minute to play his violin. And rushing by, self-absorbed, busy, places to go, never understanding, they missed the master violinist who was playing for them because they were so busy and so hurried. May we never become so busy, so distracted, so rushed, so self-absorbed, and too often we are, that we miss the master when we get into his presence. When we come into God's house, we can miss the master, we can miss the king of heaven who's here today. Lord, what we want to say to you today is nothing else matters as much as your hand upon our lives. And the psalmist understood that principle when he wrote, God will show me the path of life, for in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You will never find your purpose. You will never know why God brought you into the world until you stop the noise around you long enough and get into his presence for him to show you the path of life. The stresses, the distractions, drama of everyday life have morphed into a condition that doctors now call 
anhedonia, a condition increasing now in numbers of people who are losing their ability to focus. So a medical term has been invented by the medical culture describing an increasing number of people who have lost their ability to find pleasure in what they used to enjoy. They've lost the ability to be content, to be happy, to be pleased. Inability, they said, quote, inability to feel pleasure in normally pleasurable activities, end quote. So they've got to have more stimulation or they get bored with the normalities, the numbing of the senses, the dulling of their minds. Anhedonia means without pleasure. Anhedonia, without happiness, without joy, just in existence. And there are three areas that doctors have identified saying these specific people in our culture have been affected by this phenomenon. There is what they call social anhedonia, people who are there but not connecting socially. They're so distracted and so busy and overindulged, they don't even connect with their own family. There is musical anhedonia, and that's amazing. But an overindulgence where they no longer respond normally to music that typically would stir them and cause a positive reaction. No feeling, literal, literally little or no response. It kind of reminds me of some people I see in worship service. There's sexual anhedonia. And this issue used to be a rarity, only with people, they say, with extreme physiological issues like drug-addicted. However, today, completely healthy people are displaying this condition. They are devoid of happiness in life. They've lost the ability to achieve any pleasure from a normal covenant marriage intimacy. And it requires high levels of stimulation for people to experience any pleasure unlike previous generations. So they have to be constantly stimulated more and more throughout the day until they're distracted from the norms that once made them content and happy. Distractions pull you away from the things that are important. I think about Peter in the New Testament in Matthew when Jesus asked him to come out of the boat and walk on the water. And it says Peter had come down out of the boat and he walked on the water to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and he began to sink. And that's what distraction does. Immediately causes you to lose the focus that you should have had. Distractions, of course, can lead you to fear. Fear paralyzed Peter. It caused him to be tripped up and neutralized. But remember the psalmist said, what time I am afraid, I realign my focus, I will trust in you. I will bring my focus back to you. It's more difficult for people who are suffering from these distractions to even demonstrate a smile. They become slow to react emotionally. And previously, it was the little things, the simple things that made them happy and joyful Now today, to do all the smart devices, the texting and the distractions, people are not connecting socially. And then people, as a result of that, throw themselves into all kinds of extracurricular activities. 
and try to live vicariously through their children, never bothering to teach their children social graces or how to connect or how to have a conversation or how to display manners in certain circumstances because dad and mom have never modeled that before them. And because of the changes in the brains that go on of our children, there has always got to be something more stimulating. Now you have to do something over the top to get the attention of people. There was a day when small things entertained people, like Lincoln Logs, Fisher-Price toys, grabbing a good book and going somewhere and reading for an hour or two. But that's boring today because by the time your children are four, they're stimulated by seeing all, experiencing all, multiple means of communication, constantly looking at the smart device, constantly connected to some incoming. It's not enough today to watch a single program. Televisions have the ability to to display six different screens simultaneously. So you can go watch almost every NFL game at the same time. Overstimulated. Extreme sports. Now it's not the weather. It's extreme weather. Breaking news. Every story is breaking news. And if it's not extreme, it's not good enough to get our attention. Wow me. Amaze me. Anhedonia. One doctor described in his research this condition as, quote, a life where every significant accomplishment leaves one feeling empty, end quote, unsatisfied. What's disturbing to the medical community, healthy people are experiencing a lack of happiness and pleasure in life. The more they get, the more they buy, the bigger the house, the more they accumulate, more and more, it begins to affect the brain, the pleasure center of the brain, whereby we laugh and we enjoy and we have pleasure. A chemical reaction in the brain produces that. It releases dopamine and it causes you to feel happy and you feel up, and you feel stimulus. The process stops working through overstimulation, so it takes more and more to affect the same level of satisfaction. So people look for another level to get a sense of pleasure, another sexual conquest, another drug, some more alcohol, another purchase, all of which become means by which we get stimulation, a continuous raising of the bar or maybe lowering it. The pleasure you once received, you no longer receive. So you search for another way to achieve it. Relationships you once enjoyed no longer excite you any longer. Not excited about the good people God's brought into your life. Well, here's an incoming text for you. No person you sleep with, no person you pursue will ever bring you the satisfaction you seek. This is a condition of not having anything in your life that will move your heart. Nothing makes your heart excited. So watch this. You come to church and you hear all of this and it doesn't move you any longer. The worship, the songs, the preaching, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Nothing touches you like it once touched you before. That's a dangerous place. 
Jesus talked about it to our last day church, which he called the Laodicean church. And he said, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm, this is Jesus speaking, and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, but you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, and I'm counseling you that you buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich and white garments, that you may be clothed, that your shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see, and as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous, he said, Jesus said, and repent. Now I happened to pick up an article by Francis Chan. I heard him during the election cycle talking about making America a country once again that was God-centered. And I happened to pick up this document he put together about lukewarm Christianity. Let me just quote a few things from it for you today. This is how Francis Chan biblically sees lukewarm Christianity. Lukewarm people attend church fairly regularly. It's what's expected of them, what they believe good Christians do. So they go. Lukewarm people tend to choose what is popular over what is right. They desire to fit in both at church and outside of church because they care more about what people think of their actions, like church attendance, than what God thinks of their hearts and lives. Lukewarm people don't really want to be saved from their sin. They want to be saved from the penalty of their sin. They're merely sorry because God is going to punish them, not because they love the Lord with all their heart. Lukewarm people are moved by stories of people who do radical things for Christ, yet they do not act. They assume such action is for extreme Christians, not average ones. Lukewarm people call radical what Jesus expected of all of his followers. Go, Francis, that's awesome. Lukewarm people, he said, rarely share their faith with their neighbors, co-workers, or friends because they don't want to be rejected or make people uncomfortable talking about such a private matter as your personal faith. Lukewarm people gauge their morality or goodness by comparing themselves to the secular world. Oh, boy, because they're not as bad as the bad guy down the street. Lukewarm people say they love Jesus, and he is indeed a part of their lives, their money, and their thoughts, but he isn't allowed to control their lives. Isn't that good? Boy, I like this. Lukewarm people love God, but they don't love him with all their heart, soul, and strength. They're quick to assure you that they try to love God that much, but that sort of total devotion isn't for the average person. It's only for pastors and missionaries and radicals. (laughs) Lukewarm people will serve God and others, but there are limits to how far they will go or how much time, money, and energy they are willing to give. Francis Chan, what a great dissertation on the topic of lukewarm Christianity, what Jesus addresses in the last day church. So what used to stir you and move you is not extreme enough any longer. And doctors studying anhedonia say it's because we live in an overstimulated 
culture. So much going on, the digital age, technological advances, our brains so stimulated all day into the evening, seven days a week. Remember the Lord's day to keep it holy. And let the church say what? We have so much information at our fingertips. You can be with family and friends and not be connected. People sit with you in a service and are checking their social media accounts, posting, and never shut off their brains in order to connect with the presence of God because they've got apps and games and Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and Netflix and iPads and smartphones. And somebody just sent me a selfie. I'm for technology. It's a phenomenal blessing. You should use it today to invite as many people to hear the gospel as possible. But if it's not governed, you lose the ability to communicate and connect and have a conversation. In a culture where a sit-down with a family has become a rarity, even when sitting with family, they're gone, not there. Everybody's in the family room looking at their phone. And it takes something extreme to get your attention. One of the doctors said, quote, technology is revolutionizing our lives, but ravishing our brains. I gave my wife the article. It talks about our children today that are still up at 3 o'clock in the morning on their smart devices. And it says what's happened to their brain chemistry is the same thing that happens when they're on crack cocaine. They can't stop. They absolutely become addicted. When the producer of Jurassic Park was asked why he had such a descriptive movie and became so popular and so successful, he said, quote, in other generations, people wanted to be educated, enlightened, improved, and empowered. But in this generation, they want to be entertained, end quote. That's true in the church sometimes. The great fear of this generation is not disease or death, it's boredom. That's why you can't use the bathroom without your smart device. Because people are afraid that for one second, they will have to be quiet and still. And to our culture, God, your father says, be still. Turn it off. And know that I am God. There was a time in my lifetime where there were no smartphones. Some of you never grew up in an era like that. You grew up with smartphones at the ready. But in my lifetime, there was a time when there were no no smartphones. And some phones at home actually hung on a wall in the kitchen. (laughs) Don't fall over dead now, right? It's a foreign language to some of you. Keep this in mind. The phone didn't go with you everywhere you went. It hung on the wall in your kitchen. And then technology advanced. We got extra length phone cords. And we could walk from the kitchen into the family room with our phone. Then came cordless phones. No more wires. Man, we were something, right? And before the smartphone became the rage, some carried pagers. They hung on their belts. No real information, maybe a number for you to call back, 
So you would have to stop your car. You'd have to find a phone and put a quarter in and make a call. Today we have it all at our fingertips. I love the technology. I love the advancements. Listen to me. And if you don't learn this language of technology, you're going to become illiterate really fast in this culture. But the danger is overstimulation. And if you're not self-controlled, even our capacity to experience God will be compromised. We have filled our brains with so much stimuli, there's no room for God's presence. We will miss the master when he's in the house. He can manifest in all of his glory Sing a song of deliverance over you, his child, and you never know that the Lord himself is seeking to bless you, but you're so distracted. You miss the opportunity for the master himself because you're self-absorbed. You want to get in here and get out the same way you came in, and your life will quickly drop to empty. You're so overstimulated there's no thrill any, anymore, so you look for it somewhere else. But it's in his presence there is fullness of joy. It's at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Not at a party, not in another marriage, not another purchase. It's only in his presence. And the things he's going to talk to you about is your character and your life and your steps and your purpose and the mission that you have along with the rest of the body of Christ, to get the gospel to our community and world. When you connect with him, then you learn to connect with each other. And the more you love him, the more you learn to love one another. If we're not careful, we can come into God's house, the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the anointing of the Holy Spirit no longer affects us because we live in a world of overstimulation. And if you don't allow your brain to be washed in his word... What used to move you will no longer move you. You need, Paul said, not to be conformed to this world or culture, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen? What used to touch you will no longer touch you. You'll just go through routines, become lukewarm. I refuse to pastor that kind of a church. I will not be that kind of a pastor. I've come too far to fall into lukewarm and allow my passion for God to die. Won't do that. Calvary, we need to be on fire for our God. God gave us an answer to prayer in November and a reprieve and a window for us to use the gospel like we've never done in, in the last five decades. Nothing else brings the level of pleasure than watching people come to know Jesus Christ. During the great explosion of drug use among our students and culture and college-age students, as they came off of drugs and came into contact with the power of Almighty God and the Master himself, one of them coming down off of the high of constant drug addiction, penned a song in which he said, Jesus makes me higher than I've ever been before. There's no place I've ever had pleasure like this and then in the presence of God because nothing will bring joy like Jesus. Jesus is the center of our joy. But today people pursue and pursue and then they get it and it's never enough. It's in his presence. 
And this is what happens in his presence. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And isn't this is why we celebrate Christmas? Prince of Peace. So many today have lost the wonderful of the God in the flesh. They miss the counselor, the one who can give them answers and try to find them everywhere else. Too busy to see Elohim, the almighty God, and never ever stop long enough to find his peace because you're already thinking of what you're going to do when you get out of here. But he's present today. It's the Lord's day, and he's here for you. So I refuse to go through the motions of worship. I want my heart to be moved when I come into his presence. Are we still awed by his presence? Are we still moved by his presence? How long has it been since you stopped and experienced his awesome presence? I'm telling you, there are services you get in, and the tangible presence of God is transformational. The hardest heart melts when the king walks in, when the master is present, and he's here today. Would you welcome the Holy Spirit? Ask him to fill your heart. Thank him that he's taken out of eternity into time to be just with you. We need the Lord to be in first place, first love. And many have lost that first love. They sit unengaged with an attitude of entertain me. You know, atmosphere is important. But the anointing is much more important. Is there anything in your life that still moves your heart? Resist the numbing effects of our culture because that's what they're doing to us. Like the many who walked right past the master violinist and we're hearing the best instrument ever constructed with human hands, playing pieces of classical music that should have stopped the entire crowd in its place. We walk right past Jesus, the master, the king of kings and lord of lords, and he's creating a beautiful song over us of love for us, and we don't even stop long enough to hear what he has to say. We will not be a church that is numbed, or dull, or only talk about positive issues and then walk out the door. We need more than that. With the saturation of all the stuff hitting our families, you're going to need more than a fuzzy, warm Sunday morning service. We need the presence of God in our homes, in our lives. God knows in our church. It will always be not warm and fuzzy, but the cross and the blood and the second return and the healer in this church. One aspect of this oversaturation, the doctors say, is called being thrilled to death. Killed any ability in a person to respond. Increasing doses of stimulation. So no matter what you achieve, what you have, you're still not happy. You're running from one movie to another, one event to another, one party to another. We've got to get the endorphins moving, get the thrills back, trying to find another, another level where we'll find it, but it only lasts temporarily. You've reached the next level of success, but it's 
temporary satisfaction. In his presence is fullness of joy. Amen? In his presence. Elijah found himself sinking into a depression, a serious depression. He was having suicidal thoughts. Elijah had just dispatched the prophets of Baal. He had prayed a prayer that was about one paragraph and the fire of heaven fell out of uh, fell from the skies and consumed an offering he placed there that was saturated and soaked in water and consumed and licked up everything, water and all. And they found out who God was in Israel once again. And he personally dispatched all the prophets of Baal. And that was a weapon-toting preacher if you ever found one right there. And he took care of business for God. But the queen told him, before the day's over, I'm going to do to you what you did to my prophets. So in the middle of this great high, he comes down, and he's got no pleasure. He's looking to end his life, and he's looking for some stimulation. Change my environment, Lord. I'm the only one serving you, which was not correct. There were hundreds who had not bowed, but he believed he was the only one serving God. And he thought, well, maybe a whirlwind, something dramatic will break me out of this depression or fire falling from the sky. No, it was unsatisfactory. Lightning, earth shaking itself. No, there was one, no manifestation of God's presence in that kind of overtness that was going to get him where he needed to be. But watch how it came. The Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. What does that mean? His voice was not there. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Lead me. You're going to lead me in the steps or the paths that I must take. That's what's missing. So busy, we become barren running all the time and so self-absorbed, we're disconnected from one another, and most importantly, disconnected from the Lord. God is more concerned about who you are than what you do. And I'm burdened because that still small voice is the source of my joy. It's the source of my peace and fulfillment. It's the source of my pleasure and purpose and forgiveness. He is my peace. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. We're engaged in a battle for our families and our homes. I'm concerned for my children and my grandchildren. Be careful your absorption on the Internet. Connect with your children. Find out what they're looking at, who they are connecting with on the Internet, And dad and mom, they're minors, they're living at home, and you paid for the phone. You need to know what's going on on that device. Because the enemy is working to destroy a generation, and we have allowed him to do a great job in our culture, where once the Bible was the textbook of our classrooms, now we have rewritten history books that make our founding fathers evil, criminals, And we have brainwashed an entire generation to believe lies. And now people are going on the Internet, married couples, spouses, 
Marriages are being ripped apart on Facebook. Homes are being fragmented because someone's going on a search for their old lost love in their life. And they begin to ignore their spouse. And they're connecting with someone over in some fantasy world they've created on the internet. Next thing you know, their marriage has exploded. Children left with the internet to babysit them. When David and Goliath squared off, the Israeli and Philistine armies were arrayed, standing on both sides of the valley of Elah. And Goliath stood out in the valley of Elah between the two armies, and he said, no, we're not going to engage our armies out here today. You send a man from your camp to fight me and let the man fight me. And the one who wins takes everything. If I defeat your representative, your army and their families will become my slaves. Now, dad and pastors, we're not just fighting for ourselves. It's not an army against an army. If we don't succeed in defeating our giants, those watching from the sides, our families, will fall prey to our adversary because it's leader against leader. And dad, you're the leader of your home. And if you don't step up and fight and win, the enemy will attempt to plunder your home. That's why I don't show up on Sunday and play church. That's why I don't just have a routine of loving God. I must have his anointing. I must have his presence. I must have searched his word. There's a war we are engaged in. And the enemy wants to take your family captive and take them deeper into bondage and defilement. And the Holy Spirit has to send us a message like this that stops everything to awaken our conscience. Once again, to become alert from the busyness and the barrenness of our lives. A new stirring that cries out to God once again, this is not where I'm supposed to be. I need more. I have to have more. We need a cry from Calvary Christian Center, from parents, from students who say, I don't want to miss the presence of the master. Because like the ones in the metro, you can just hustle right by the master violin and never know what you just missed. Because he has stuff to say to me about the path of life that I need to hear. Holy Spirit, I don't want to miss the master. Lead me in the path of life. Lead me to living water because in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Some have resisted for so long, you've created a shell over your heart. You've grown so hardened, but the Holy Spirit has difficulty penetrating to you. We ought to repent and break that shell and connect once again with the presence of God. And this is your service. And how long has it been, Dad, Mom, student, that you were so in his presence that all the junk got swept away and everything that you ever longed for began to fill your heart? Don't rush away from the presence of the Master. It'd be great for us to stand this morning 
and lift our voices in our hands and say, Lord, help me to stop long enough to hear what you're saying to me about the paths of my life, to stop long enough to take in your presence, to stop long enough to hear the great song you're playing about my purpose and hear your plan and your will for me.